scriptural, uh, scriptural um, passage comes from Genesis 45, and I will read um, just a few verses from there. Starting from verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will, be, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. We are continuing to look at Genesis chapter 45 and thinking of the idea of having a healthy perspective on life. And you've probably all seen uh, this or something similar to this where uh, it's uh, a number of blindfolded people all uh, on different parts of an elephant. And they're reporting what they see or what not what they see, but what they feel and what they've encountered. And you see, they, they all have the, a different perspective on it because they're all encountering the same thing, but in a different way. And so they all have this a different perspective on what they're encountering. Another example of that, a simpler one, is the classic, is the glass half full or half empty? And it just depends on your perspective. There isn't a, a right answer to that question, but... What kind of perspective do you have when you look at that, uh, at that glass of water? So the difference is not in the situation, but in the perspective that, uh, uh, that you have on that situation that you're in. And how do you interpret and how do you process that situation? How do you uh, look at the thing that you're going through, whatever you're encountering at this time? And as we think of Joseph, through all of his life, through the ups and downs that he's gone through, Joseph had a healthy perspective on his life. One that was realistic. He understood the situation that he was in. He knew when he was in prison. He didn't, he didn't pretend that it was something else, but he knew where he was. But he had the right perspective on it. He saw that God was in his life, that God was active in his life, and God was the one who was keeping things going even when he uh, uh, wasn't sure himself what was happening. Now, to be sure, uh, Joseph is a man of remarkable character. Uh, he, you might even call him sort of extreme. He's, he's got wisdom and skills that are used in amazing ways. And we're looking at him to see him as an example for us so that we can see how we can also respond to some of the things that go on in our lives. And, but one of the problems in doing that is that sometimes that can be discouraging to us. When we look and we say, well, Joseph did this, and you sort of say, well, I could never do that. 
and I couldn't be like Him. We probably recognize that uh, we are not the same stature as Joseph, that none of us are second in command of a nation and saving a whole region from famine. But God was at work in Joseph. And Joseph recognized and had that perspective on all that was happening around him was that God was there and God was with him. And I suppose that we could say that with God's help, each one of us could be in that same position that Joseph found himself in. So we don't need to be discouraged by looking at Joseph and seeing this man of amazing character and ability and saying, I could never be like that. But we can look and we can say, with God's help, I could be. So let's turn to Genesis 45 and, and see how, as our story progresses, what's happened with Joseph and his brothers. Remember, we've been looking at, uh, at Joseph and his story over a number of weeks here. And remember what's happened to, uh, to Joseph. Uh, Joseph now has his brothers with him when we come to Genesis 45. Uh, they have come. Uh, there was a famine in the land of Canaan where uh, Joseph's family was living. But they knew, they had heard that there was food down in Egypt, so they had gone down to Egypt, they had bought some grain, and then they had gone back to Canaan. Now they've reached a point where they've run out of food again, so they have to make a return trip. And Joseph is aware of who these brothers are that's coming to him. He knows that they're his brothers. And he is the second in command of all of Egypt and his brothers are coming to him and they're looking for help. They don't know who Joseph is though. And Joseph sees them and he interacts with them. And he has some dealings with them. And he sees that, that they seem to have changed since the time that they sold him into slavery. They're concerned about their younger brother. They're concerned about their father and how the interactions are going to affect their family. Even when Joseph gives them an opportunity to be jealous of their younger brother Benjamin, they don't. And so he sees, uh, he sees this change in them. Now it comes time when we come to Genesis chapter 45, it comes time for the big reveal. Joseph can't contain himself any longer. He just can't hold it in. And he has to tell them. And so Genesis chapter 45, verse 1 to 4, it says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Joseph can't contain this any longer. He, he needs to make himself known to his brothers. And so he, he, he tells them who he is. And they're startled, of course, that, uh, that this is Joseph. And they, they, they don't believe him. And they're terrified. Because they know who Joseph is. They know the power he has. And here now he's saying, look, I'm your brother. And what are they going to expect? They're going to expect that he is going to, 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 to bring some punishment onto them. They can't quite swallow uh, who this is and what's happening to them. 
But we see at this point now, the life of Joseph and his brothers and his family start to come together. And the story starts to, uh, to, to join together. The pieces begin to fall into place. And we start to see the whole story unfolding and the important things that are going on. We get to know the characters and to see how they're all interacting now. And to see what God is really going to be doing here. And so we begin to get this healthy perspective. Joseph has a healthy perspective. And that's what we see in this passage in Genesis 45 is a healthy perspective on life. What is that healthy perspective? Well, there's a number of things that we see in this as we look and see what is it that makes a healthy perspective. And the first one is that God is sovereign in this. And this is in verses 5 to 8, some of which was read for us. He says to his brothers, he says, and now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then he repeats that in verse 7. He says, but God sent me ahead of you. And in verse 8, he says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph could clearly identify that all had happened that had happened to him, that God was in there. God was in control of the situation. And even as his brothers were trying to do evil things to him, God was in control. Joseph wants his brothers to understand that he's not angry with them. That he's not going to punish them. He's not going to throw them into prison and bring the hurt on them for the hurt that that they brought on him. That he's not distressed by this. He doesn't want them to be distressed by all that's happened and all they did to Joseph. He doesn't want them to feel guilt over all that they had done. He wants them to understand that God is sovereign in all that happened. That God was in charge of all this. That God was working somehow behind the scenes. And God had some bigger plan. His brothers had this little plan to somehow defeat Joseph. And God turned that into a big plan to provide food for in a time of famine for an entire region of the world. Joseph's brothers had a little plan to harm. God turned that into a huge plan to save and to rescue. And it's interesting as you look at this, that, the, the, that Joseph says, God sent me ahead. In some ways, we would look at that and be puzzled and say, that doesn't sound like the story that we've been looking at. It doesn't look like God was sending him ahead. It looks like God was punishing, or, or that his brothers, Joseph's brothers, We're trying to do him some harm. Not that God was sending him ahead. And this is the first time we have that sort of perspective on the whole situation. But God, Joseph was sure that God had sent him ahead. Joseph was, uh, looks back and he's not dwelling on the details and the, and the, and what was in the heart of his brothers when they did that to him. But he looks back and he sees God's hand in all of it. And God's hand sent him into Egypt. God's hand was doing that to save their lives and to save the lives of many. He says in verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to preserve you, a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God did it all. God was at work in all of this. God is sovereign. God gave the dreams to Joseph, even those ones back right at the beginning of the story where 
Joseph had dreams of his brothers bowing down before him. And it didn't really unfold in a way I would guess that Joseph would have imagined that he would someday be in charge of Egypt and they would be bowing down to him as he is the second in command of Egypt. But God gave Joseph that dream. God gave Joseph the, the, the ability to interpret dreams as he was in prison and with Pharaoh. God moved Joseph to be there at just the right time to intersect Joseph's lives with those in prison so that at the right time Joseph would be released. When Pharaoh had a need to interpret some dreams, Joseph was there. God gave him that interpretation and Joseph recognized that. This was not in his own strength and his own wisdom, but Joseph recognized that God was there, giving him that insight into what Pharaoh, the dreams that Pharaoh was having. And so God was at work in all of this, in his life, in the life of his brothers, in Pharaoh. Somehow God was at work in all of that, orchestrating these events, because God is sovereign. A friend of mine wrote to me an email this week, and he said simply, the Joseph story is a powerful reminder that the hero in every story is God. And that's what we have, and that's what what Joseph is recognizing here in Genesis 45. Now, one thing to note here is that it is easier to see this sort of thing when you look back on life. Joseph could see what had happened through his past and through all of his life. And he could see God's hand in all of it. And he got to the point where he could actually see the purpose in it. And that is very uh, helpful for him when he can see the purpose in it. It's much harder for us to look and see why difficult things are happening and struggle to see a purpose in them. But we can look at other biblical characters, like our friend Job, who has everything taken from him. And he really has no idea what's going on. There's some spiritual battle going on in the background that Job has no idea that this is going on. And yet he says, you know, I don't know what's happening. I don't know why this is happening. His wife says, why don't you just curse God and die and get this over? And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to maintain my integrity. I'm going to worship God no matter what happens, even when I don't understand this. He was faithful to God. Somehow he knew and he trusted that somehow God is working it out. Even if we don't understand exactly what God is doing, we accept that He is sovereign. We embrace it. Think of the Lord's Prayer, that simple prayer that Jesus taught us. He says in that prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. God, Your kingdom come, Your will be done. That's a powerful prayer if you stop and pray that. You're saying, not My will, not My kingdom, not my choices, yours. Yours. You're saying to God, let your will be done in my life. I accept that you are sovereign. You are ruling over every aspect of my life. And I'm asking you to do that. That's a pretty big prayer. So sometimes we have an, an unhealthy focus. We start to focus on the events and the hard times we're going through. And we don't see God's hand in it. And that health, that's, that's easy to happen because we might not be understanding what, uh, 
what's going on around us. Sometimes those little things can really bother us and start to give us an unhealthy uh, perspective on life. You know, somehow, in, in the strange way that these things work, I've developed some shin splints, which is a very strange thing for someone who doesn't do really any physical activity or running or anything like that. That's a runner's injury. So my shins were hurting. And I started, I did what, what every good person does. We Google it. And it's like, it's describing shin splints. And I'm like, that's, I can't. I don't do those sorts of things. Why am I getting this? So I went to the doctor and, and I told him and described the symptoms. And he, he examined me. And he says, well, it sounds like you got shin splints. And he says, but that's very puzzling. Because that's, you're not describing a lifestyle that leads to that sort of thing. You know, we've got a number of ultimate players who are suffering various degrees of injuries. And, and they get it because they are giving 120% out on playing ultimate. I watch, sit around and watch TV and I get shin splints. And you think, you say, God, why do I get, why is this happening? And I'm, I'm not, this isn't a big thing, but I wonder, why? What is this? Why do I get, why do I have to put up with this? And you know, that's just one small thing in life, but that's just the kind, that's just the kind of perspective we have, is we say, why is this happening? Instead, you sit back and you say, okay, God, this is, this is what's happening in my life. I don't understand it. I don't know why. I don't know, I don't know why, why I have to put up with this, but, but I, I accept it. God is in control of all of these things in some ways that we may not fully understand. And yet, Joseph had the privilege of fully understanding why he had to go through all he did. But he had that healthy perspective that God is sovereign in all of that. And then we see that the second thing there is that good news needs to be shared. And that's in, from verses 9 to 15. And he says, Joseph speaking to his brothers, he says, now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. And then goes on to describe what's going to happen. And he says in verse 12, you can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen. And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterwards his brother talked with them. There, there is some good news for this family. This family and especially the father who thought his favorite son Joseph had died his son Joseph is alive. The famine that they were enduring, and they didn't know how long this famine was going to go on, but it was severe, and they didn't know what was going to happen, and now there's some good news. Come to Egypt. You'll find deliverance there. You'll find what you need there in Egypt. God has done something, and God has prepared this so that we could come and we could be saved. And so this was good news and Joseph wanted his brothers to go right away and share the good news with others who needed to hear it. And it's not just Israel. We read in other places in the Bible, it's not just he doesn't just go back and get his father, but about 70 of them actually come back to Egypt when, uh, when Joseph's brothers go back to Canaan and they bring about 70 people with them uh, to Egypt. So we see this idea of going and... Uh, telling others good news, comes up again and again in the Bible. 
in 1 Samuel chapter 18 as David returns from the battle victorious. The word has gone ahead of him and he is greeted with singing and rejoicing and dancing in the streets, celebrating because of what God has done. It doesn't sit well with Saul in that passage in 1 Samuel 18. But others have gone ahead and told the good news. In Luke chapter 2, verse 17, the shepherds who are there at the birth of Jesus go and tell others about Jesus being born because this is good news. In John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman who Jesus has this interaction with goes and tells others in her village the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus stays with them a couple of days and the Bible says that many believed. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 8, the women who go to the tomb go and then tell others what has happened. The good news that Jesus is risen from the dead. Good news is there to be shared. There's something about good news that should make us all want to share it. Good news is not meant to be bottled up and kept under wraps, but good news is something that needs to go out there especially the good news of Jesus Christ. Think about places in the world where people have tried to keep the good news of Jesus Christ from spreading. It doesn't work. Because you can't keep the good news under wraps. You can't contain the good news. People will find ways of sharing, of spreading the good news. And in fact, trying to keep it under wraps almost is counterproductive because it seems it just goes the other way and becomes... Uh, an even more invasive message. It causes it to spread faster when you try and constrain the good news. Do we have good news that we want to share with others? Are we willing and able to share the good news of Jesus Christ? If we think, if we really think that the, that the, the things we know about Jesus are true and are good news, a healthy perspective means that we want to share that good news. The next thing we see is that integrity, it pays off. And we see that in verses 16 to 20. Uh, It says, When the news reached Pharaoh's place that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this, load your animals and return to Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy, enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this, take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives. And get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. Pharaoh is happy for Joseph and he blesses Joseph and his family because of all that Joseph has done. Why is Pharaoh so generous to this Hebrew slave? This foreigner who, uh, who, who Pharaoh pulled out of prison? Because Joseph has done what is right. Joseph is a man of integrity that God used to interpret dreams and preserve the whole nation of Egypt and other surrounding countries. Joseph doesn't use his power or position for his own benefit. But instead, Pharaoh has put him in charge and Joseph responds to that by acting with integrity. C.S. Lewis is sometimes quoted as saying, integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. Those of you who are C.S. Lewis scholars will know that this is actually falsely attributed to C.S. Lewis. He didn't actually say this. He said more about integrity that basically you can boil down to this phrase, uh, and it's a great phrase, 
but it wasn't actually C.S. Lewis who said it. But he would have agreed with the idea behind this statement that integrity is doing the right thing even when no one is watching. What about our integrity? Are, do we have the kind of integrity that would cause Pharaoh to respond to us in this kind of way? Would others be excited for us when something good happens to us because of our integrity? Because we are people who do the right thing, who are respected? Or would they be jealous? Would they respond in generosity? Would others respond in generosity to us because of our character? And out of appreciation for what we've done, would they enjoy seeing us happy the way Pharaoh is pleased to see Joseph and his family together? Where our words had matched our deeds. Are we willing to say, David said this to God in Psalms chapter 7, verse 8, Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. This is a pretty audacious statement for David to make. Calling God to come and judge him based on his righteousness and his integrity. It's a pretty bold statement. How would we feel? Would we be comfortable to say, God, come and look at my life, examine my life, and judge me according to my integrity? Am I really living that way? Am I really living that life of integrity? Joseph was recognizing, that, uh, uh, sorry, David was recognizing in this passage that God is sovereign. He knows that God, he, he's asking God to come and judge, but he knows that God is going to do that. And his integrity can stand uh, that kind of examination by God. And so a healthy perspective looks at this and says, yes, my integrity is such that it can stand that kind of uh, uh, examination from God. And then the last thing in this passage is that a deep forgiveness is possible. Verses 21 to 28. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts, as Pharaoh had commanded him. And he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver, five sets of clothes. And this is what he said, sent to his father. Ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away and as they were leaving he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And then they tell him the story. Joseph sends his brothers back on their way to Canaan, back to the family, full of provisions for the journey and lots of other stuff too. Riches beyond what they needed. And he gives them a blessing and sort of this ammunition to not quarrel along the way. Doesn't that really sound like something a mum or dad would say? You know, don't quarrel, you know, be good. You know, how many of you have, have parents who, you know, when you're, when you're leaving, they say, drive safely. And I always joke when I get in the car, what? Am I gonna, if I, if they didn't say that, are they, are they thinking I'm gonna go and drive home recklessly unless they tell me to drive safely? I always drive safely or try to. You know, so what, what is that? Well, it's a care, it's a, it's a message of care and concern for them. And that's what Joseph is extending. Look at how deep his forgiveness is of his brothers. He wants them to have a safe journey and abundant provisions on the journey and gifts to bring to the family when they get back. 
he has fully and completely forgiven his brothers. Joseph is holding no bitterness towards them. Joseph has seen that all that has happened is because God is sovereign. And so he is able to deeply and completely forgive his brothers. He doesn't bear any hint of malice or bitterness. It's a testimony to Joseph's character that he can truly forgive in that way. You know, I'm the youngest of four children. And I'll admit, the youngest does get spoiled. Those of you who are the youngest probably will share that experience with me. As I talk to other youngest children, I know that's what usually happens. But to be the other side of it, of course, is that we faced, we took a, a bit of abuse because we were the youngest. We did, uh, uh, I took my fair share of, of abuse and teasing from my older siblings. It certainly is true. I had to put up a, a, with a lot of teasing along the way and feelings of being left out from all the fun things all the older kids were doing. You know, some of you are smiling. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that feeling. But I don't hold any malice or bitterness towards my siblings for it. That was just the way it was. But if they had tried to sell me into slavery, I'm not sure that my forgiveness would quite extend to that level. I'm not sure I would be so close to them as I am today if they, when I was 18, had tried to sell me into slavery. That would be a real test of forgiveness. And here Joseph is showing us what that a real deep forgiveness can look like. And we can only forgive, and Joseph can only forgive when God is sovereign in his life. When we let God give us a heart that will be so willing to forgive. When we let God heal us from the hurts that we have and give us that kind of forgiving heart, that's when we can uh, really have that kind of forgiveness. Colossians 3, 12 and 13, Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. As we enjoy God's forgiveness of our sins, we need to forgive others. No one says it's easy, but God is there. He's going to help us. He's going to help us forgive. Some good friends of ours by the name of Roy and Gwyn Comrie know a lot about forgiveness. They were missionaries that served for many years and continue to serve, actually, with the same mission that we were, Lydia and I were with. In July of 2008, Roy's sister Sheila was brutally raped and murdered where she lived in the south coast of South Africa. Sheila was living alone. They identified her attacker as an escaped prisoner by the name of Chris Nguni. When the Comrades heard of what had happened to, uh, to Sheila, uh, of course they were devastated. Uh, Roy and Sheila were quite close. But they began to pray for Chris, for the one who had done this. Police finally captured him, and as his capture took place and as the trial proceeded, Roy and Gwyn continued to have a burden to pray for this young man. And so they started to pray with him. And the Comrie's make, make regular trips back to South Africa and they were actually able to go and to meet Chris in the maximum security prison. And they prayed with him. 
And they extended forgiveness to him. And he came to the Lord. And they continue to go back regularly to South Africa and they always go and visit Chris in prison. The one who murdered his sister. And they always come back. Whenever they come back from South Africa, the part of their testimony is always, we went to see Chris in prison. And Roy himself, he says this, he says, we have learned about forgiveness and been enabled to forgive. Forgiveness from us enables the one forgiven to seek forgiveness from God. It's not about us. It's all about our loving, caring, forgiving Heavenly Father. They have the right perspective in forgiveness. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's all about our loving, caring, forgiving Heavenly Father. God in His sovereignty has given Roy and Gwyn the strength to forgive. God can and will do the same for us if we ask Him for His help. A deep forgiveness is possible when we accept the sovereignty of God and allow God to work in our lives to shape us and transform us. And so if we're to have life and we're to have it to the fullest, we need to have a healthy perspective on life. And one of the fundamental principles of having that healthy perspective is knowing and believing that God is sovereign. And the acceptance of God's sovereignty in our lives can show itself out in many, many ways. What we've seen here today in the life of Joseph are just some of the ways that God's sovereignty can work itself out in our lives. But there are many ways that God's sovereignty can work itself out for us. We heard from Caleb who has said, I'm giving my life to serve God. So he goes off to New Brunswick. Almost to the ends of the earth. Right, Caleb? But God can do all kinds of things when we accept that He is sovereign. So instead of trying to control our lives ourselves, let God take control. Accept that God is sovereign. That's a basic truth of life, actually. And it doesn't matter whether we believe it or not, God is sovereign. But our perspective should be that we are not trying to be sovereign over our own lives, but we accept that God is sovereign. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's a healthy perspective on life. Let's pray. Lord, we just say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, as we pray that prayer today, as we say those simple words, Help us to have that in our heart. Help us in every aspect of our life to put you as sovereign, to put you, to let you be in charge. And Lord, help us to have that perspective on all of our life that you are sovereign. Lord, help us put aside ourselves. Put you on the throne of our lives. May you be sovereign in each one of our lives. Today and every day that we walk with you. In Jesus' name we pray.